Have you ever felt attacked? Since you've been saved, since those of you who are born-again Christians, have you ever just felt like you've been, you're being attacked? I wonder if we really give much thought of just how believers are attacked. Just think about that as you turn into Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 20 and focus on verses 20 through 30 of Jesus and his attackers. Jesus was attacked. But if we, if we were to just scale back all the way to the beginning of time, attacks have been made on those who have put faith in God. Uh, if we go all the way back to the garden, we find that Satan sifted out Eve because she believed God. We find Cain killed Abel, Cain killed Abel because Abel believed God and he sought to please God. Noah was harassed by people while he built an ark because Noah believed God. David uh, or Saul Saul wanted to kill David. David often ran for his life because he was a man after God's own heart. Jezebel made a plan and a pact that she was going to kill Elijah because he was a man of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace because they would not bow down to anyone other than their God. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den because he prayed to his God. Haman sought to kill Mordecai because he was one of God's chosen people. We all know... Oh, we should know some history about the apostles. All but John were, were according to history, were martyred. And, and these men suffered. John was, was kept put on an island of Patmos. He was dipped into a vat of oil. John suffered. The apostles suffered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Why does that have to do with us? Well, in 1962, the Supreme Court said that prayer in school was unconstitutional. On September 11, 2001, a jihad terrorist group called Al-Qaeda, they attacked the U.S. simply because Christianity appears to be the dominant um, faith-based in America today. I don't know if it is, but it appears to be. And since then, there's been countless shootings in churches and schools because of people's faith in God. And we find that the most prevalent attack today in our country is on the family that God has designed and those who believe in the family that God has designed. 
so there's always been a tax on those who have faith in God. And contrary to these, name it and claim it, contrary to these, uh, if you believe in it, you can have it. These prosperity heathens, contrary to what they're spewing out, if you follow Jesus, you will be attacked. I think that's why Jesus tells us we are to count the cost. You don't enter into a relationship with him lightly because it's going to cost something. The Bible tells us that we're to pick up our cross and carry it daily. Following him. There's always been a tax on faith in God. The day's text helps us to see Jesus being attacked. <laughs> the Bible tells us in chapter 3, beginning with verse 20 in the Gospel of Mark. Then the multitude came together again and they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said he is out of his mind. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem said he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if, Satan, if a house divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he himself cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first build, binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. The son of, uh, will be forgiven, the son of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter, but who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But this subject, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your truth. Help us, God, this day as we prepare to proclaim your word. You hide me behind the cross. You speak to your people. And God, as you speak to them, you move and minister into their minds and their hearts. Help them, God, to, to see and hear from you. And as you do, God, we'll give you praise for what's accomplished. God, if there's any that doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, speak to their hearts throughout this message. And God, help them to see their need for a Savior. And for any, God, who would consider their lives today. Any, of the, any would acknowledge that they need a Savior. God, we praise you for it. For it's only you who is speaking to them. So now, God, you move and minister according to your will and your riches and glory. And we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. 
Reading down through chapter 3, we get to this point prior. Jesus has called and he has commissioned 12 men, 12 men who were disciples, who were following him to be his apostles. He was faced with, and now he and his apostles are faced with a multitude of people. Before he and the apostles could get along together. Before they could sit down and break bread together, here he is pressed by a multitude of people. Probably some were there, like many of us, whenever we see a fire, we want to go and see what's going on. Perhaps some of them were there wanting to see what's next. They had heard about so many things and they, want, they just want to see what would happen next. There's, it's possible that some were there looking for healing to take place. Now remember what the Bible had said earlier is that Jesus appointed the apostles to be with him to send them out to preach and to give them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. With this in mind, I'm sure there were those who were just wanting to see what was going on. Some wanting to see what help they could get if they saw that they were in trouble themselves. Whatever their reasons, a multitude of people were pressing upon Jesus. A multitude of people we're making their way to get to Jesus. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? A multitude was going out of their way to get to where Jesus was. And we have to wonder, where is the desperation today? The desperation we see here in the text for them to get close to Jesus. Where is that today in this society we're living in? Now, this may not be you, but there are people in our families, people we work with, people we, we live around in our neighborhoods and our communities that, that seem to have no interest in Jesus Christ. They have no interest in getting to know this man who died for their sin. Truth is, and I hope this doesn't apply to anyone in this church, but there are people who attend church regularly who have no desire whatsoever to hear anything about Jesus. Now understand me well. I'm not talking about those who come and who listen and those who want to be here but they have yet to surrender to Christ. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people who come to church and they just don't want to come. People who will do everything in their power to stay busy in the midst of service when worship is taking place so that they won't have their mind on what's being said. People who are who are distracting themselves and distracting everyone else around them because they won't don't want to hear what's being said. They're afraid the Holy spirit might get a hold of them they preoccupy themselves and they distract everyone i'm saying what i'm saying is i'm not saying we don't want them here we want them to come but what i'm saying is there's no desperation it seems with some people to look within themselves and see the need that they have for jesus 
Well, what about the church? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't see nobody get up and leave in the midst of that. Because I, I, am, I, I do want to ask about us. Those of us who profess to be saved. What about us believers? Uh, where's the desperation within the family of God? There was a time when there was, there weren't so many distractions in this world. There weren't so many opportunities that took us away from the house of God. There was a time when People were desperate to draw nigh to God because they believed God's word that if you draw nigh to him, he would draw nigh to them. There was a desperation to hear God's word. You know, we're living a time, people are okay. And, I, and if, you're, if you're listening to us on Facebook right now, continue to listen. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm preaching with some passion, but I'd really... I want you to continue to listen. I want you to continue to hear God's word. And, and if it speaks to you, then talk to God about it. But there are people who would rather sit on the couch with their coffee in their hand and their pajamas on and watch TV and not be in the house of God with the people of God to fellowship and get to know them. And feel justified in it when the Bible clearly says... That we are not to forsake the gathering or the assembling together of believers. <laughs> uh, the people who are watching our services go to church and they watch our service after their church. And I'm glad of that. <laughs> so so uh, I wouldn't be talking to anyone, you know, who's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, you know. <laughs> I wonder where the desperation is to, to want to hear God's word so that we could be changed by his word to where when we go out into the world we represent him you see I think people want to hear God's word because they want the emotional part of it but they don't want to be changed because if I'm the same person I was the day I got married I got saved I haven't changed very much. God hasn't truly been working in me. If I'm saying, well, you just, you just got to understand who I am. No. God knows who we are. That's not enough. That's not justification. He should be changing us. If we love him, then we want to be like him. You know, my daughter loves my wife. <laughs> she loves my wife. And she wants to be like her in many ways. And the older she gets, the more she's like her. Some ways I'm proud of. Some ways. (laughs) 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 But as we grow in our walk with Christ, we shouldn't be the same person we were five years ago. If I am, I'm a poor example of a follower of Christ. There needs to be a desperation to want to grow and mature as disciples and grow into becoming leaders for the Lord. This desperation, we, there should be a desperation among us to have our families 
and our friends in the house of God so that those who are blind can be made to see. Those who are deaf can be made to hear. Those who are lame can be made well. And those who are dead in the trespass of their sins can be made alive forevermore. There should be a desperation for this. that won't, A desperation to love and to live and to share the gospel. Every born-again believer in Jesus Christ must be desperate to grow in Christ. Now, you may be asking why in your mind. Why is this so important? Because we're going to be attacked. This world is going to attack us. How? Well, accusations are going to be made against us. I know we're not, we're not overseas in, in, the, in the Middle East where they're killing people who, who profess Jesus Christ. We're living in a, in a great country, but this country is still attacking us. Those who don't believe our government, they're attacking us. They're making accusations about us. They made accusations about Jesus. There were two groups of people making accusations about him. Here, it appears in the text that that Jesus' friends had become worried about him. The King James, if you're reading out of King James, it says that when his friends heard of it, they went to lay hold on him. The New King James says when his own people heard about this, they went to lay hold of him. So it appears here that it's possible that the family of Jesus had a conversation with some friends of Jesus. And and the friends and family of Jesus got really concerned about Jesus. The Bible says his own people. It, It could have been that they wanted him home. They were worried. They were concerned. They were concerned about his mental capacity. Have you ever been concerned about someone else's mental capacity to where you you were afraid for them, that they were going to hurt themselves or they were going to do something that would cause a lot of damage? That seems to be where his friends and family were at. The The words of it in the King James and the words about this in the New King James I want you to get this. Those words are italicized. Look in your Bible. In most, in most Bibles, those words are italicized. What, what scholars believe this to mean is those words, those aren't the exact words in Greek, but those are what the translators believe that, that the author, the original author was trying to say. If you were to put the Greek words in this, it would translate as, having heard. So the text would say that Jesus' friends had heard about the crowds and all that Jesus was doing. And it appears they heard about his miracles that he had performed. They they heard about him forgiving sins. They heard about him eating with tax collectors. They heard about his claim to be Lord of the Sabbath. They heard about the multitude following him. And now he's chosen 12 men to follow him. Ordinary men. And they would be with him and they would follow after him. You know, if that happens in this world, what do we say? What do we say? It's a cult. Say it. Yes. Say amen. Amen. We hear that happening. It's a cult. It's, a, it's apparent this may be exactly what his friends and family thought was taking place. 
Oh, we got, he, he's, he's losing his mind. In the New King James, they say he is out of his mind. In the King James, they say he is beside himself. Oh, <laughs> what an accusation to be made of the one that John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're making this accusation saying his mental capacity is, is just not there. This man's disturbed. Go get him. Bring him home. Well, he wasn't just, it wasn't just accusations from friends and family. There were accusations from religious leaders also. Accusations were made of his origin of ministry. The, the scribes, the ones who rewrote and rewrote and rewrote, the ones who wrote up copies of copies of copies of copies of the original scriptures. Those men, <laughs> they said he was doing all of these miraculous. They couldn't deny what he was doing. They seen it. But they said he was doing it through the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub was an idol god of the ancient Philistines. The name means the god of flies. What do we know about flies? Nobody wants to eat food where flies have been all over them, do you? Uh-uh, no. Because you think, when you think of flies, you think of filth. And there were some who saw, thought of Beelzebub as the god of filth. This was eventually ascribed or credited to Satan. He's the prince of the unclean spirits. So the scribes accused Jesus of being possessed or controlled by Satan. They were saying that he was evil. They weren't saying he was controlled by evil. They were saying he was evil. John 20, uh, 10 and 20 says, and many of them said, he had a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? So Jesus faced accusations from his friends, possibly his family, and from the religious leaders. You know, I, I've, I've told y'all before, some of you are new, you may not have heard this. When I, when I first was voted on and and I, it was approved, and I was extended the call to come as the pastor. I had just gotten a job offer at Lumbee River. I had finished my, I had done my uh, physical and my background check prior to the vote. When the vote took place on that Saturday, I was in Florida. And when I got the call that if I wanted, still was interested in being the pastor, it was approved. Well, the vote that took place, I had to know the numbers. I didn't need to know names. I just needed numbers. Because this is why when I, I, I had no idea what the church was going to do, had no idea what their decision was going to be. I knew because they had to make the announcement two weeks out that they were going to vote. But I knew not what they were going to do. I wasn't settled. God hadn't made it very clear to me what was going to take place. I knew I'd applied for this job and this was a job I'd looked for for five years. And then they, on a Friday evening, I'm, I'm called, I get a call to, to be in the HR office on Monday and it's soon. And I've been praying all the time. 
Lord, close the door. You don't want me to go in. Open the door. You do because you know me. You know when I'm lazy. You know when I'm strong. You know what I will and what I won't do. You can see 50 years down the road. You know where I'm best, where I'd best be. So when they offered me the job on Monday, I started thinking, well, maybe I'm not going to Reedy Branch. Because I knew Friday, that's what they were calling me in for. I got word, they're going to offer me the job. And as soon as the HR director says, we want to offer you this job, it was as if God was standing right there with me. Now, I've heard a voice so clear that it seemed audible twice. First, when he called me to preach. Second was that day. And he, he, his, what I heard was, now the church will vote in your favor. What will you do? So my prayer changed. Okay, God, I, I still, look, you know what I'm walking away from if I go to the church. And, and you know the trouble I can cause in a church. So what, what show me through your people. Let me know for sure. I got to know. Let your people speak for you. So when they called and said I, I was extended the call, I wanted to know the numbers, and the numbers totaled up to 95% of the vote. These, y'all didn't know me. So I knew this had to be a God thing. <laughs> I called Monday, gave my two weeks notice to my employer, I called Lumbee River and told him I was turning the job down. When I got back on Wednesday, Thursday, when I got back Thursday to work, those guys were throwing accusations out. (laughs) Some just could not believe that I was going to turn down the money that I would be able to make there, knowing that the church had limited resources. They could not believe, and you know what? The money doubled. <laughs> it has doubled since then. Uh, they couldn't believe I was turning down to retirement because I was already going in as a first-class lineman. <laughs> One man walked up to me and said, what are you going to do in six months when Reedy Branches told you to leave and to go home? Eighteen and a half years later, here we are. We're still learning from one another, aren't we? It's what he didn't know is this this is God's business. What he didn't understand is If you would have sent me home in six months, God had something else in store if I just followed him. Here's the truth of the matter. People are going to attack us. People are going to make accusations of us. If we step out in faith, believing God is calling us, everyone is not going to be happy about it. Everyone's not going to support us. There will be those who think we've been deceived, those who think we're gullible, those who think we've been manipulated. But you need to know that that friends have the right to be wrong. Job's friends kind of proved that. There are times when our lives, 
in our, there are times when we just really need to break away from certain people in our lives. Some that maybe we call friends. If God calls us to serve him, it is much better to obey God than man. Our friends may have good intentions, but if they oppose God's will for our lives, then they're not true friends at all. They do not have our best interest in mind. We best believe that if all possible, our adversary will use those closest to us to oppose God's will in our lives. That's what he does. That's who he is. So we must, we must be aware of this so that we're not allowing Satan to use us to attack someone else. Because when we do, we're genuinely doing the devil's work. He is the destroyer who loves to enlist others into his business of destruction. First Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Listen, folks, we're not in this alone. That's why we need to come together. That's why we need times when we are fellowshipping and we're worshiping and we're spending time together, building relationships together because we're all in this together. Accusations will be made. And listen, if it's against your brother, defend your brother. If it's against your sister, defend your sister. Because being a Christian, if you're not one, you can't understand it. You know what we say as preachers and pastors? Brother Crafton's heard this, I'm sure. Only a pastor can understand what a pastor goes through. Only a Christian can understand what a Christian goes through. If your spouse is not saved, they can't understand what you're going through. That's not the person to confide in about spiritual matters. It's someone else who understands what you're going through. What, 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 what really, Jesus could have interrupted these accusations, but they were right back to one another. Sometimes, and I know it's getting late, sometimes we've got to just know when we can answer these accusations. One, one time we don't ever respond to accusations is when we're angry or we're frustrated. Or we, we, the best, somebody's gotten the best of us. Let's leave them alone for a while, calm down, and then we can, we can deal with it in a Christian way. <laughs> Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't get upset. These accusations are serious. They've said the man is out of his mind. They said he... Everything he's done is through the work of Satan. And calmly, he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? He begins to give answers. Uh, Jesus, he, he's at the point to where he has to answer these accusations. There's an answer that's needed. There's so many people around, they need to hear something. So Jesus calls them to himself and he asks, How? How can Satan cast out Satan? This is a logical question. We know Satan is battling against the Lord for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. And, and the Bible says in Isaiah 5, 14, therefore, Sheol or hell, it, it is, it, 
has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he who is jubilant shall descend in it. Jesus, his reply should have brought an awareness to some truth about division. Why would Satan cast himself out? Yes, I, I get that the demonic, spirits, the demonic spirits were afraid of him. They would bow down at him and plead that he would not destroy them. But if he was possessed or controlled by Satan, why would he be freeing people of Satan's control? This would mean that Satan would have been working against himself. It's just not logical. So Jesus shares uh, some things right here with them. He, first, he, he, he focuses on a nation. You notice that there in verse 24? If a kingdom is divided. He's focused here on a nation. If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. He's sharing here that it's important to understand that within the nation, we can't be divided. I'm going to get to that in a few moments. He shares in verse 25 that, that in a house, he speaks of a home. He speaks of a family right here. If a family is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And then we see him sharing here that if uh, focusing on an individual, that how can you go in and take over someone unless you bind them first? So you've got to have power over them. If you don't, you can't bind them. And you can't take what you want. You know, one of the weakest moments in the history of the United States was 2020. I didn't say the weakest. One of the weakest moments in our country's history was three years ago. With the election, the COVID virus, protests all across the country, this country was divided. And there's still today no stability within our country. Many, many are looking forward to the election of 2024. I'm not looking forward to it. You can look forward to it. I'm not looking forward to it. Do we have the right administration in place? No, we don't have the right administration in place. But I'm not looking forward to an election. Are you? Has there been an election in recent years where it was good for our country? No. I'm afraid this possibility of things, there is a possibility things are going to get worse. We can smile and think we've overcome but I'm sorry to share that this country is still divided. How are we divided? Politically, as a nation, you're a Democrat or you're a Republican. If you're, not, if you're a Democrat and you're not Republican, then they don't like you. If you're a Republican and, if you're a Republican and, and you find out someone's a Democrat, you no longer like them. So we can't even agree to disagree in the church. What would it be if I put a sign in support of a candidate in my yard. Yeah, it would be bad. What do you think it is in your yard? You're giving your neighbor's reason to have an ought against you. That's what you're doing. Oh, no, that's my right. You got a right to vote for whoever you want to vote for. And I, I, I encourage you, you vote for whoever you want to vote for. No matter what side you're on. But to get in arguments over who side's right. 
Oh, well, well, glory. You can find arguments against Scripture and for Scripture on both sides. On both sides. I know, I, I, man, I'm right down the middle. I, I'm registered, uh, I don't know what it's even called now. It's been unaffiliated. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, I, I don't care about the donkey. I don't care about the elephant. I care about Jesus. And when our church, when the church, I'm not talking about Reedy Branch specifically, I'm talking about the church as a whole. When we start focusing on Jesus, we won't care about those things either. Amen. The family system is divided, isn't it? Isn't it a mess? Mothers have stopped being mothers. Fathers have stopped being fathers. I know you haven't, but it's happening. Uh, parents are instructing, aren't, they're no longer instructing kids. Kids are now instructing parents. Uh, you know, I, and, I, and I get when kids are grown, they're going to make decisions you, you wouldn't want for them to make. I get that. But when they're in your house and they're small and they're running the house, what I mean by that is this. I'm not talking about you're doing everything you can to take care of them. I'm saying this. When they're telling you what they are and who they're going to be, rather than you instructing them on who they are, and who they, who got, they have been created to be. We need parents, parenting, teaching our kids that they are wonderfully uh, created by a God. They're, they're wonderfully and fearfully made by in the image of God so that they understand that, that God doesn't make mistakes. He created them to be exactly who he wanted them to be. And he loves them as he created them. Our kids need to hear from mom and daddy, not from a school counselor, not from a school teacher, not from, a, not from any educators or any healthcare professionals. They need to hear from mom and daddy that God loves them and he created them exactly how he wanted them. Oh, we're divided. I know we don't want to hear that. You know, because when we allow the kids to tell us, you know what, I, I don't think I'm going to be a boy anymore. I want to be a girl. You're allowing that child to say God is wrong. You're allowing that child to say God makes mistakes. What you're saying is he's not inerrant. He's not infallible. What you're saying is he's not God. Well, let me, let me. We, we, <laughs> You know, Satan will do all he can to defend his kingdom, just like you will your home. But Jesus has the power and the authority to step into Satan's kingdom and bind him up and deliver whoever he wants out of his kingdom to free them from the power and the presence of sin. He has the power to do this. So let me encourage you, don't give up on those you love. If they're rebellious, if they're going out in the world doing what they want to do and won't listen to reason, don't give up on them. God still has the power to take over all that Satan is trying to control. He has the power to make them new and give them a newness of life. Listen, I'm coming to a close. I know, I know it's getting late. Jesus gives a glimpse in these last three verses. He gives a glimpse into the future. However, it appears that many people miss this. He shared that all sins will be forgiven 
the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. The future tense here, if you're reading out the King James, is shall. If you're reading out New King James, it's will. That's a future tense verb. It's indicating that something is going to happen. Jesus is speaking then. He's saying something is going to happen. (laughs) And sins will be forgiven. You know, that did take place. Jesus, he would go to an old rugged cross to die for the sin of the world. He would die for all sin. In the Greek, the word all, it means all. So all my past, all my present, all my future sins have been forgiven. You know what? All your past, all your present, all your future sins have been forgiven. You, some of us, just haven't received that forgiveness. He died for all sin. He's not going back to the cross. He's not going to die again for sins that, that, that got outside of what he thought he was dying for. Nothing got outside. Of what he was dying for. When I received. I received his forgiveness. When I believed in him. And the finished work on the cross. And the resurrection. And when I was willing. To surrender my life to him. Making him lord of my life. And making him. And declaring him to be. My savior. At that point, I received full forgiveness. But Jesus says here, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. This has confused a lot of people over the centuries. To attribute God's work to the devil is a dangerous thing. Now, Keep in mind, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. And in being 100% man and 100% God while he was on earth, he didn't do all the miracles as 100% God. Or he, he, he didn't do that. Though he was, he didn't do that. He done all these miracles as someone submitted to the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus tell us that we could do more than he has done if, if, if it wasn't about being filled with the Holy Spirit? He was filled and he lived that life out to demonstrate to us because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was able to do great things. And to say the work that he done was of Satan, that's blasphemy. You're denying the work of the Holy Spirit. To attribute God's work to the devil, it is dangerous. And I'm learning more and more to leave what I don't understand alone. (laughs) What I don't understand, I just leave it alone. Pray about it, study on it, and let God do what God's going to do. But when Jesus says this, He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. He's letting us know that this was serious. This was something that was going on throughout his time on earth. In the three and a half years he lived on earth, this continued to go on. Now, some scholars say that this this isn't accountable to us today. 
But this is all accountable to those who were there while he was living and while he was doing great things. It was those who were accusing him of doing work through Satan. I don't know. I'm not so sure. But if it is true in the same fashion, when we reject the Holy Spirit of God calling us to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're saying, I want nothing to do with you, Jesus. And if you happen, if this happens to be, you know that if you leave this world in that state, saying no to the Holy Spirit, you will be condemned for all eternity. Well, I didn't want to preach this passage. I really didn't. But it's God's holy word. And what I know is that there are people today who love and who believe God but are deciding to wait. Deciding to wait to surrender their life to him. They'll tell you that I love him, I pray to him, I'm just not ready to serve him. I want you to know tomorrow's not promised. And it's a dangerous thing to reject the calling of the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, you may go to work. We'll rejoice with you, but you may go to work the next day and people talk about you. That's fine. God will stand right there with you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. Man, I'll tell you what. The day that I surrendered my life to Jesus, it was a wonderful day. That Monday morning, I was putting signs out on the road. And the devil spoke to me as clearly as anyone's ever spoke. Boy, you got nothing yesterday. You know what I did? I started praising God because he had never said that to me before. And if I hadn't have gotten God in my life, if I hadn't truly surrendered my life to Jesus and been forgiven of my sin... He wouldn't have been bothering me. Listen, there's somebody here today that he's calling you right now. Don't worry about the accusations. Jesus has an answer for it. Just come to him. As they come to sing this song of invitation, just come to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just come to Jesus. He loves you. He desires you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants, he, he wants to spend life with you. He wants to lead you and guide you. He wants to train you. He wants to prepare you for something that you have no idea he has in store for you. Would you today? Would you today? Make this day the best day of your life. Let this day be the day that the weight of the world, the weight that Satan has placed on you, all that he's trying to do to you is removed and joy and peace enters. Would you come today? Today.